listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast to help you save your marriage no matter what condition it's in, even if you're at the beginning of your relationship trying to avoid problems down the road or if you've hit a snag and you're working hard to bring your relationship back or you just know that things need to improve. What we talk about here applies across the board. Here's why. The way you save a marriage is the way you have a great marriage. The way you have a great marriage is also how you save a marriage. It's the same basic process because underneath it all, we're doing one thing. We're connecting with each other. We're doing another thing. We're growing and changing and we're doing another thing and that is changing how we understand that relationship. Those three pieces. So one of the things I often see happens when people are in a crisis. And and so what I want to talk today is about how people use force to try to make a connection, to try to change the direction more than anything. And, And that's really what's happening, right? If your marriage is in crisis and you're working to change the direction, you're going to work hard to find that deeper connection with somebody. But here is what often happens. The harder we push the harder the pushback. Now, this is one of those places in life that it's kind of different than anywhere else. Let's say I wanted to get in better shape. What do I do? I work harder, right? I go to the gym more often. I lift heavier weights. I spend more time going at a greater intensity. Let's say I, I want to change something else in my life. I can often work harder to get there. Sometimes I have to work harder to do less, right? I mean, I might work harder at finding ways of relaxing if that's my goal. But in the end, we have some control over that. There aren't many places in life where working harder doesn't get you at least a step closer to where you want, except for in relationships, to push harder. So here's what often happens. Things aren't going great. And finally, a spouse says, I've had enough. I don't want to keep doing this. And that creates a crisis for the relationship. Many times that crisis, the response to that crisis from somebody is to do a number of things. Begging, pleading, also arguing with them, and what I call logicizing. What is that all about? Well, when somebody says, I can't keep doing this, your immediate response is to try to do recovery work by getting them back involved. And so you're trying to get them back in the game. But the way we do that is trying to use force. So the begging, you know, the begging, please, please stay. If you stay, I'll change. Nothing's ever going to be like this again. If you stay, you know, many things go on. If you stay, we'll do this every day or every week or on and on it goes, right? Um, you're trying to find some leverage point to hold on to that person. So we beg about that. Pleading. You know, that's please don't leave. Please don't tell the kids. Please don't say you don't want to be in this relationship, please. So the pleading Begging and pleading, very similar. Uh, It's based in trying to convince somebody, based in kind of, well, groveling to get them to change their mind. Arguing often happens. You know, you're trying to fight against what they believe. So they tell you what's wrong and you tell them why that's not the case. 
you know, we're not connecting enough. Of course we're connecting. Don't you remember the last time we went on our trip together? Or don't you remember all the trips we've had together? What about the letter you sent me on our last anniversary or on my birthday? What about the gift you gave me? What about all the promises you made? That's arguing, right? And in the process of arguing, all you're doing is getting the person to argue back. That's what we do when we argue. You're not likely to have the person go, oh, you're so right. You know, I I misunderstood or you're correct. I forgot about that. I forgot the letter I wrote you. I forgot about the promises I made. Which leads us to the other attempt, which is to logicize them. This is where you you figure out, and this is part of how many people argue. I, I know it's one of my weaknesses in arguing. I try to find what makes sense to me, the logic of me. Sure that if the person sees my logic, of course they'll agree with me, which is rarely the case because they're running a different level of logic. But we do it anyway. So when we logicize, we try to convince them of why our thoughts are correct and theirs are wrong. I mean, that really is the heart of an argument. You've got a different opinion, and you're trying to prove that your opinion is the right one, and their opinion, it's the wrong one. But what happens with that? What happens in a natural process with us? And that's, this is why these are losing strategies. So let me tell you a little bit of a story uh, from a conference I was at a number of years ago. Um, we were all gathered, different um, ages, wide range of ages, um, and you know we were all in this auditorium, and the person was giving the kind of the lecture, and it was one of those tiered levels. I remember, you know, the tiers where you you can be higher and lower, so you can see over the people in front of you. And I'm sitting there, and the person says, "Okay, now we're going to do an exercise," and he named off, you know, each. Each odd row, so the first row, the third row, the fifth row, the, the seventh row, all those were to turn around to the person on the even row and put their elbow on the desk. The, the, the desk, there was, you know, with the tiered all the way around, had a desk all the way around. So they're supposed to put their arm on that desk. And the person who was facing them would then grab their hand. So if you notice, we have now two elbows on the table facing each other, locked hands upright. You've probably arm wrestled before, so you you understand that stance. And then he gave the directions. Your task is to put your uh, partner's hand on the table as many times as you can in a minute. So I'm staring there down at my partner, and I put that in quotations because it obviously at that moment felt like your opponent. And This was a woman who was probably at least 30 years older than me and probably half my weight. And her wrist, I I think I could have probably circled my fingers around it twice. And I was just looking at her going, this is is who I have to arm wrestle? I'm going to hurt this person. And she was looking at me and I could see the same look on her. She's like, this is who I've got to arm wrestle. But the instructions were there. So I decided that the best I could do is not let her win, but I sure wasn't going to push her hand down, at least not hard. So we locked, and I very slowly, very carefully put her hand down, and then I just held at the upright position. I locked it neutral. Now, in the same time, I'm hearing these people slamming their hands down on the table. I'm like, wow, what are they doing? How hard they're, they're hitting each other. That's really awful how they're doing that. So after the minute, 
they ask the question, you know, how many times did you do it? And mine was one, hers was zero, and other people kind of reported theirs. And then people were like, you know, 120 times. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How could that even be possible? And then the person said, what were my instructions? Were my instructions to arm wrestle each other and force each other to the table? Or were my instructions to see how many times you could get your partner's back of their hand to the table? And if you had cooperated, you could have just flopped your hands back and forth and both of you would have won. Both of you would have gotten as many as possible in that minute. Instead, you got a low number. And his point was that when we're faced with somebody, we also often become oppositional. I mean, this is what happens in marriage, right? I mean, two people, and they should be facing the world together, and instead they end up facing each other as opponents. But it's our natural tendency to immediately go to the arm wrestling frame in our head. Okay, if somebody's pushing against me, I'm going to push back. I've done the same thing uh, when I've done talks. I've thrown a piece of rope to somebody, said nothing, just threw a piece of rope to them and slowly started pulling it. And they slowly started pulling it. And pretty soon we're playing tug of war. And my response is, why'd you do that? And they said, you threw me a rope. I said, I didn't say we were going to tug of war. So we naturally do that. Pushing and pulling. If the other person's pushing, we're pushing. If the other person's pulling, we're pulling. And that's the problem with these push strategies of begging, pleading, arguing, logicizing. We aren't going to get where we want to get to. In fact, what we do instead is dig the hole deeper, cause more of a wall between us. Because when we do a push on the problem, we actually cause the person to reinforce their belief. They begin to be very clear about why it'll never work. When you're trying to use logic, they're arguing back, and their argument is even more entrenched now. Most of us, when we are confronted with something, will double down when pushed. We don't back off. We double down. So suddenly this person is having to reinforce the belief that you don't want reinforced. They're having to speak into their belief that you don't want them to speak into. They're having to remind you and themselves of why this is necessary and a belief that you don't want them to have. So in the process of trying to convince them that something else could happen, You end up causing them to believe that nothing else can happen, that they are exactly right. In fact, they're likely to say, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is why we have an issue. This is why we have a problem. This is the danger. We're getting them to reassert a belief. So you've probably heard me say that you should not have the relationship talk. Now, notice what I said, the relationship talk. That is not that you refuse to talk about the relationship. You don't want to have the relationship talk. So what is the relationship talk? This is the one where you have it scripted in your head. You know what you're going to say. You know the logic. You know the arguments you're going to have. You've got a script in your mind about how this is going to go. We all humans are you know, Grammy Award winning script writers for our life. If only the other person would follow our script. 
So you've written a script of how this is going to go, how this discussion is going to go, how they're going to see your logic, how they're going to see your points. Because if you didn't believe they would see your point, you wouldn't be making the point. I mean, that's just the nature of this, right? You're going into the conversation because you believe that you can convince your spouse of something different. That's just the nature of an argument. So in the process where you are uh, scripting this and your spouse has a script that will run perfectly counter to what you have now had in your head, you can see where this is going to go. It's going to get blocked. It's going to be disagreement. You're not going to make the progress you think you're going to make in that discussion. But people dive in anyway. This is the problem with the push-pull response. You push, they push. You pull, they pull. But their script is the opposite of yours. And so you get no traction in that. So the question is, is there anything you can do about that? Well, yes. So one of the things that I do in my uh, life or have done a lot in the past is consult with organizations, small businesses, closely held companies, nonprofits, and uh, many other uh, small organizations. One of the things they're trying to figure out is where are they stuck and why are they stuck? How are they trying to move through things? So I've done a lot of research on how systems move and change. And just to remind you, your marriage is a system. Families are systems. They're the connections, the interweaving. So if somebody pulls on one area, it affects another area. I always think about it as kind of a spider web. In fact, that's one of the demonstrations I do with organizations where we pass some strings around to each person in the organization. So they're all con- each person has a connection to everyone else. And I just pull on one area and you notice that everything moves, right? It, it changes everything in that organization. It changes all of those connections. So you're all woven together. And that includes you, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your family, your extended family, your friends around you. It's all a web. But the beginning point of that is you and your spouse, So you're a system together, and that's why a systems understanding can help you with that a little bit. So I'll go back to Kurt Lewin, who was a social psychologist who understood why organizations get stuck. And he did what he called force field analysis. And I've done these analyses with different organizations to help them understand what's going on. Why are they stuck? And what Kurt said is that we all live in some level of status quo. We're kind of at a stuck point. So your marriage was likely at a stuck point. It's now at a new stuck point in crisis, at least right now. And that's the thing. You, you get to different stuck points, and you're trying to get back to the place where it's a growing relationship. So what causes the status quo? Well, according to Kurt Lewin... The thing that causes it is that there is an equilibrium of forces. Your spouse is pushing for the relationship to end or to you know change in its nature, and you're trying to push to get it back and get it back on track. And that creates your homeostasis, just a scientific word to say it's found a balance point. We, we live in balance points all the time, right? I mean, that's, that is true in our life. Many times people find themselves, let's say, with their uh, life at a certain level of homeostasis. You know, it's kind of stuck. 
And the reason is because they have found there is a force for change and a force that resists change, and they have found their equilibrium, their stuck point. So what do you do to make a change? I mean, if the equilibrium is there, how do you deal with the fact that stuck is basically an equilibrium of opposing forces and you want to get to something else? Well, the most common way that people deal with that is by adding force, by trying to shove through, by trying to force through, by doing things like begging, pleading, arguing, logicizing, right, threatening, doing all different kind of things to add force on your side. They try to rationalize the process. They try to create some change in the other person who is the opposing force at this point. So when you add force, the reaction is exactly what happened when my partner put her hand up and I put my hand up and we locked hands. What I was doing, right, I didn't want her to push my hand down. And so I just, after I got my one score, which was probably immature of me, but you know, bear with me, they told me to do that. But anyway, as as I look back on it now, um, you know, I kind of feel bad about the fact that I even scored one. Nonetheless, all I did to hold the equilibrium is oppose her force. If she pushed harder, I pushed back. We stayed at a stuck point. When I throw a rope out and somebody starts pulling it, and I don't pull them out of their seats, I just demonstrate that I can pull and they will pull. And we create an equilibrium. They're not pulling me off stage. I'm not pulling them out of their seats. We come to an equilibrium. If I added force, they would pull back. Now, let's be honest. I probably could pull somebody who's smaller than me out of their seat. I probably could have slammed this woman's hand repeatedly on the desk. I could have done that, right? But usually we only use as much force as necessary to move things where we want to. But there's an oppositional force that's doing the same thing. And so you might have to add more force. You might have to push harder. The problem is the pushback is harder. So in a force field analysis, rather than just understanding that force field that's existing, a force field analysis is where you begin to look at what is opposing you and where you want to go, the change that you want to make. There's a lot to this theory, and I don't want to go into all of the theory about how uh, you make the change. I just want you to understand this piece. Force rarely gets you the change you want. So the question then is, what's causing this resistance? What's causing your spouse to say, this can't go on like this? Our marriage can't continue like this. Now, it's possible that they will, are saying, our marriage can't continue like this. We need to rebuild. They can also be saying, our marriage can't continue like this. I'm leaving. So understand that there's a wide range of what that means, that it can't continue like this. But that is the resistance they have, the belief that they have. And, and so you have to ask, what is leading the resistance? What's causing that force? So if I draw a line... And this is the stuck place for you. And on your side is, you know, we made a commitment to this relationship. I want to see us move forward. There needs to be growth in this. There are possibilities in the future. There are also the fear pieces. 
we, it'll cost us a lot to get divorced. There's a lot of emotional pain. It's going to be hard on the kids. You know, there are unseen things like people don't want to have to be dating again and they don't have to deal with the split and what do you do with the friends and what do you do with the community? All the things that go into that piece that pushes people towards staying together. Now there's this opposing piece of saying, nope, let's, let's move it the other way. And so you're trying to continue the force in a new direction. So let's be clear. We can't just go back to what we were doing before, right? You can't go back to the relationship that wasn't working and push it forward. There's got to be some transformation. So you're looking for where the resistance is to the change and ask the question, how do I clear that out? That is the force field analysis. What do we need to do to lessen the resistance? You see this all the time in politics, right? I mean, at its ugliest, somebody says, we can outvote you and run right over you. At its best, they'll say, what's your resistance to this process and how can we make it so that it's working for everyone? You know, at, at its best, which is not our current situation, at its best, it's finding a way through that reflects the majority of people's beliefs in progress and moving forward. So part of what we're looking for is where is it stuck? Where are the places that we have become stagnant and stuck? So a couple of questions to ask. One is why your spouse doesn't or won't work on this. What is their reasoning for that? Do they feel like it's too far gone? that things can't change, that you've made promises before, that y'all have made promises before, that as a team, you've made some promises that haven't been fulfilled, right? Let's base, let's f- focus on the fact right now that is based in a promise you made, right? When you got married, you made some promises to each other. So this is all based in promises, but then there are promises about how we can get back on track, So why, number one question, why won't your spouse work on this? Why can they not see a way forward? And by the way, when I'm saying I'm giving you these, this is an exercise for you to write down. So the number one question to ask yourself, why is it my spouse doesn't want to? That's the first thing. You need to understand that. Have they lost hope? Are they hurting too much? Do they feel like there's no way forward? By the way, those three, those are the big ones. Those are the three big barriers that keep people back. It's my book about beyond the three barriers. Those are the three barriers that I talk about. How do you deal with a hopeless, helpless, hurting spouse? How can you move that forward? That's the whole point of that book. So the number one question, why is your spouse giving up? Why is your spouse ready to give up? Number two question, why is the marriage hurting? This is often kind of reflecting on where the connection is and and where the stagnation is, right? But just to sit down and ask that question, why are we hurting now? Why is our relationship so injured? That's an, an important conversation within yourself, reflection within yourself. And even in a conversation, if you can have with a spouse, can you tell me more about why we're, uh, for your opinion, why we're hurting so much. But you probably have enough to reflect on that without asking a spouse. But that's an important question. Why is the marriage hurting? 
what calls the pain? Is it a pause button? Are there resentments that have never been released? Or both of you kind of checked out? What are the pieces of that? Number three, and this is the tough one, what's your role? Where do you fit into that? Because sometimes it gets lost, but maybe a spouse is having an emotional or physical affair. And so you kind of point the finger and you go, this is you, right? You're doing this outside relationship without looking at how the disconnection was there before and your role in the disconnection. Or maybe you begin to realize that while they are the ones who are saying, I'm kind of done here, you're the one who has made promises about changes that need to happen that haven't. It's probably true that both of you are responsible. In fact, probable, meaning like 99% of the time, it's going to be both people have a role in this. And then I want you to reflect on whether you have control over what your spouse does with that role. Because you do have control over your role. And that's the thing about the force field analysis, right? You're not looking and saying, this person needs to make a change. You're asking, how can I make a shift? How can I remove the resistance? How can I move, remove the force against so that the line can move? How can I free up some of that energy to move towards a better place? So use those as the analysis points for where you need to begin to make some changes. For instance, if you realize some of the reasons why your spouse doesn't see a way forward, you can begin to shift those reasons, those pieces. If you can begin to see why the marriage is hurting, you can begin to see how things need to be redone, where the changes need to happen. Which brings us to that third question. If you can see where you have a role in this, you can begin transforming how you're a part of that. So how do you do that? How do you remove the opposition? Okay, now we're talking about my 3C process that usually addresses those pieces that you've uncovered in your process. Number one, connection is almost always the major issue that you have become disconnected. So connection is the missing issue. A marriage that is fully connected with two people who are growing and changing, who see each other as a we, it's an unstoppable force in marriage, it can face anything coming at it because it's got what it needs. It's got the fuel of connection. It's got the circulation between you. And both people are showing up to be on the team. And then you're playing as a team. You're being a we. So those are the three pieces, the three steps. I just named them connection, changing yourself and creating a we. Connection, changing yourself, creating a new path. So this analysis is to help you understand what needs to shift. What if you don't know how to make the shifts? Please check out my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps, and grab my system at savethemarriage.com. I've got the links in the show notes, but that is a great place to start. In fact, part of what we do, what I do in the system, is I make sure you have the information on understanding what went wrong and how to make it right. But then I offer you a free week of VIP, so then you up your level of understanding and you have tools at your disposal about a plan you can work and an apology letter you can use, all kinds of resources that you need at your disposal. 
for a free week. The Save the Marriage system is already at a bargain price, and here is the reason why. I believe in saving as many marriages as I can. I'm not going to charge you to get a system, you know, three, four, five, six hundred dollars. If you want more help, we do have it. But if you're ready to take action at a very low price, we have the Save the Marriage system. Now, I want to make sure you have the possibilities, the, the help that you need. So that's the free week of VIP. Not only that, but I offer you a free session with one of my coaches. It's a get started session. It's not a long session, but it's enough to make sure that you have the best start you can, you can have. All of it starts with your decision to grab the system at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. And this is Lee Balkum pulling for you as you work to make that shift and save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.